Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We're looking at John Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And closing out the week with us, we have our wonderful guests, Rick and Julia Ingham from the Mad Max Minute. Hello. Hello there. We're, Welcome back, guys. We're almost out of power. We got to get out of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, minute 110. We are looking at that today on the show. The minute starts with Iron Man's awkward fall to the roof of Stark Industries, and it ends with Tony and Obi playing hide and seek. Like old times. And and it's really easy to find Pepper because she still hasn't moved. <laughs> but yeah, we're starting uh, this minute. Tony is uh, he, he's struggling with his fall as he kind of is dealing with his emergency power drop from about, you know, if he hit that icing point that he had marked on his on his uh, HUD, that was about 81,000 feet. That's about how high he was. And so it's quite a uh, quite a drop that he has to go. I was looking at uh, some stats. You know, some of the statistics in the books say that his suit weighs maybe around 250 pounds, somewhere in there. And, you know, assuming Tony Stark weighs about 200 pounds, that's about 450 pounds. And if it's a straight fall without thrust thrusters to slow him down, that fall would take about 70 seconds. That's how fast that he would go. So presumably that's about how fast, I guess you could say, Obadiah fell. Mm. And if it was a straight fall, he'd end up hitting the ground about 700 miles per hour. So again, presumably that's about how fast Ironmonger uh, Iron would be pounding into the ground. Um, we find out that he didn't do that here very shortly. It's I, I don't know. I, I guess it's interesting context to get a sense of the cinematic version of Tony's fall, which takes seconds before he gets to the roof and the reality where, you know, it would be well over a minute for him to actually do this descent using his emergency thrusters on and off to get back to the roof. And luckily, he positioned himself where he's kind of directly over it. I don't know how uh, how well that worked out for him, but um I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's incredible <laughs> luck. Yeah, <laughs> incredible luck. And and really for both of them, right? Because that's that's what we get right in the in the beginning as he's kind of taking his gloves off and weirdly tossing it to the side. Uh it, immediately after that Obi lands behind him, um solve having solved his short term icing problem. Well, I mean, as we saw, Tony figured it out yeah. before he hit the ground. So I guess it's something that Obi was able to, you know, do his own little suit reboot. And, and uh, I mean, I guess that's what we're meant to assume because yeah. he clearly, he, it doesn't show any signs of damage. It doesn't sound like he, you know, actually created a crater somewhere in Los Angeles by hitting the ground going 700 miles an hour. Right. Well, we do have this weird sort of cutaway to show... <laughs> show Tony staring up uh, so that the mask can come down again, uh, which is is good because you want that closed. Uh, but for me, that, that little cutaway always seems awkward. <laughs> seemed like they were trying to be comical. Yeah. And I'm not sure that they got there. The timing isn't quite right. You know, it's like either a beat too slow or a beat too fast, something like that. It's yeah. just not, it doesn't work. I do like the hand up, though, the stop in the name of love moment. Like, I think that's I think that's really funny. Yes, I agree. I like the hand. So is Tony predominantly left handed? I haven't paid attention. Oh, it's hard to say. We we haven't seen him writing with anything. The only thing we've seen him 
doing is using keyboards and stuff. So uh, I'd, I'd be curious to know if, uh, you know, which hand he he does use when he's like actually signing something. Because, yeah, he does throw his his left glove off right away. And uh, that's the hand he raises first to try to use a repulsor blast at, at uh, Obadiah. Hmm. I don't know. I'm curious about that now. Not that it would have done any good, because as we hear later on in this minute, the repulsors are offline. And I imagine <laughs> yeah. that's not because of the squeeze job that uh, Obadiah is putting on him. Yeah, his his big bear hug uh, <laughs> is, not, is not the reason that he's having these issues. He's just, I mean, he's pure out of power. And it's amazing that... Uh, you know, I guess it's one of these things. I mean, you've got this huge suit on you that is running out of power. And, um, but I think a lot of that would be kind of needed to kind of help hold it to hold it upright and stuff. I mean, we've seen him when he was first working on these parts, when he is first testing his gauntlet and he raises his arm up, he has to hold it up with his other arm. So all of a sudden, if you have a 250 pound suit that you're inside of, and it doesn't have power to kind of move its parts around, I would imagine it's really difficult to do anything in that thing. Not to mention the fact that I have enormous anxiety around getting my fingers pinched in things. <laughs> so this whole sequence of the squeeze, uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm, I'm not keen on it. It looks like there's, there's a lot of pinch risk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just have to point out, before we actually get to that, I love, it's something I've never noticed before, but as Tony is... is trying to land when he's first coming down and he's kind of he's sputtering his way to the rooftop there's a shot as he's as he's getting close to the roof he's approaching the the railing that's right in front of him and he tries to like lift his legs up over the railing and he fails and he smacks like his legs and his butt into this railing and breaks it and tumbles to the roof it it happens so fast i've never actually freeze framed through it but it's just really funny to see him like lifting his feet trying to get over that bar that and failing. one last hurdle yeah <laughs> literally can't make it over the hurdle that's right that's funny it makes me wonder if doing these little sputters to slow himself down along the way was the wiser choice or if he could have been more efficient with his power to just reach terminal velocity and then just do a full bore try and slow down right there at the end like is it better hmm. to not reach terminal velocity or is it better to fight back from terminal velocity just before you hit oh that sounds like a very physicsy question it yeah, is a very that's that's question. Really way out of my wheelhouse i do not know the math on that one <laughs> so i would need to know the odds yeah. Oh, I yeah. Because I mean, there's it's a lot of little thrusters all the way down to kind of keep himself going, and over a minute, I mean, that's a lot of slowing down uh, perpetually. But if he's all of a sudden falling and he's going 700 miles an hour, it's an incredible amount of force that he's going to have to propel. So I personally would think that this is probably the better way to do it: doing it in little bursts. Mm. That's that's my non-science brain just <laughs> putting some guesswork in there. But uh, we'll let our scientist listeners provide us with some insight into that. As you pointed out, Pete, this is where we find out not only has Pepper not moved, but nobody at Stark Industries has done anything about anything. The guard in the shack is still sitting there doing his Sudoku, listening to his headphones. Maybe he also has some Bose noise-canceling headphones that he's using. <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, you know he does. <laughs> 
it's, it's frustrating going through this minute by minute. I find myself questioning a lot of these little details that I never really bothered with when I initially watched it. And I still love this movie, but there's just these little details that you start picking up on that like, meh. <laughs> but <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I think it's that okay. is the punishment for doing a movie minute by minute. The hubris. <laughs> yeah. It's the price we pay. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So because we, this movie exists in a world that also contains Batman and Robin. Um, well, I should say because this movie exists in the real world, which also exists alongside Batman and Robin, when Ironmonger lands on the roof, the subtitles say that he yells, nice try. But I can't help but hear the echoes of Arnold Schwarzenegger and imagine that Obadiah comes to the roof and referencing the fact that his robot just iced up and yelling out instead of nice, just yelling ice. <laughs> ice try. <laughs> I'd, I'd still see that movie. I, I don't know if that would have worked in this context. <laughs> Considering he had such a Schwarzenegger line the other day, I totally would buy it. <laughs> Your services are no longer required. <laughs> Ice, Ice try. try. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only we had that world. If only. <laughs> I love it. I, I want to see that now. And I really would love to see some Schwarzenegger uh, cuts in here with him inside the suit. Just throw some Schwarzenegger lines over over Ironmonger as he's yeah. as he's fighting him. That's right. So now we've got Schwarzenegger over Ironmonger and Anthony Daniels uh, as, as Jarvis. Jarvis. <laughs> I think we're doing a hell of a job recasting this movie. So if anybody is feeling particularly ambitious, you can just take little snippets out of other movies and just <laughs> insert them. Because the great thing about Ironmonger is that when the helmet's closed, we don't see his mouth moving. And you could put in just about everything. Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> and make it work. We get a great moment when Ironmonger uh, hits Tony and Tony goes flying back. He stops himself, which is a fantastic like superhero stop that he does right there on the edge of the roof. And then he does this leap. He does this leap with his repulsors from his two feet and his uh, flight stabilizer in his hand. He jumps up and the position that he gets as he's about to punch the Ironmonger suit this is exactly the sort of image that John Favreau and his team pulled from all of the great work that Adi Granoff did in his run with the Iron Man comics. There is just that fantastic pose of him holding his arm back, ready to punch his leg up and everything in position for this fight. It is a great, great kind of a hero position. And it's a total Adi Granoff nod right there. It's, it's just a really cool comic book moment. It really is, and it makes me wish uh, just a little bit that they had pulled back uh, because you don't get kind of the full realization of of the moment. And I know there's something to a little bit of the subtlety of this particular visual Easter egg, but I uh, I, I kind of want the whole thing. You know, I want to see the whole, both legs uh, and not get them kind of cut off at the knee. This is the sort of thing that you would expect them to make a cast resin statue out of. Right. And sell exclusively oh, yeah. at Comic-Con. They, they, I, I'm surprised they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, it's it's a gosh, it's a great pose. I just love that, and and you know this whole fight here, and it, this this crushing. It's actually a really interesting way to kind of, I guess you could say for for Obadiah to decide this is how I'm going to end him. I'm just going to uh, to hug him to death. That's kind of this <laughs> this moment that he has where he's he's going to crush him. Um, you get that great HUD moment from from Tony as it says pressure breach failure, and you see the little armor mark on his HUD kind of go red and disappear. Weirdly, the HUD cracks. I don't know why his visual HUD is cracking if it's not being hugged on his head. Um, but then you get a great uh, HUD moment of Obadiah, which I don't think I like nearly as much as the other one. It's just kind of a kind of a creepy Jeff uh, Bridges face as he's just looking at. Tony and crushing him. Uh, what do you guys think of all of this? Does it, do you like all the stuff with the HUDs and and everything in the middle of this fight? I like that Tony's HUD gets cracked. Uh, oh, you do? I do. So physically, it may not make the most sense in the world, but it it helps us understand that Tony is in real peril. Okay, sure. Um, I, yeah, and I, I that. agree that I don't like the glimpse into Jeff Bridges into Obadiah's mask. Um, I just don't think it's necessary. It doesn't, I don't think it adds anything. It's a weird look on his face. Yeah. Perhaps the direction is they're trying to remind us that this is Obadiah making a conscious decision to kill his surrogate son, Tony Stark. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. Because we were reminded up there in the sky that this is a normal person behind the mask. And now we're getting another reminder that this isn't a faceless drone. This is Obadiah Stane doing this to Tony. And that he's gone completely off the deep end at this point. He's gone so power mad that he's willing to do this extreme thing. Not just shoot Tony with a cannon or blow him up with a rocket, but literally crush the life out of him with his giant metal arms. Probably one of the most intimate ways that you can destroy another being by crushing it against your own chest. Right. Which is an interesting thing to put in with this kind of father-son relationship. Mm-hmm. This very intimate way to kill somebody who is kind of your surrogate son. Yeah, they're taking a gesture of affection, a hug. And they're turning it deadly. I like it. I think it's a really interesting way to to kind of end it. And he, the fact that he doesn't raise his rockets to kind of blast at him at this point. I mean, granted, Tony's coming at him, so obviously it's the easier thing to do. But still, there's something that that works really effectively in the way that he just kind of grabs him yeah. and just kind of starts squeezing. And, and you get I, something I don't really understand. I mean, you get some smoke coming out of the back of of Tony's suit, but then right in about 42 seconds, you get like liquid squirting out from somewhere. And I don't really know (laughs) what that's supposed to be. Yeah. Hydraulic fluid. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe hydraulic fluid or something. Just the tiniest amount. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little squirt going right in between the two of them. (laughs) The goo. It's the RT goo. We've covered this. Oh yeah. There's goo. (laughs) It's the stuff that Pepper didn't want to reach her hand down into because it stinks. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, he is using the old uh, RT device. So yeah, there, he would be back to having to deal with that. The old RT lube. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I really like about this is that Tony's next instinct is to ask Jarvis about the weapon status. Tony doesn't 
take this situation and devolve it into just a mindless punching match. Because I feel like there are some superhero movies where the final fight is literally just two strong sides and they're just punching each other. Like here, Tony is coming at it smart. Like he's delivered one punch in this minute. But other than that, like he flew up into the sky trying to get Obadiah's suit to freeze up. He tried to get him away by like pushing him around and physically moving it. It's not like uh, another movie I could mention that features a guy wearing red and blue and another guy dressed as a bat just mindlessly punching each other in a warehouse. Well, Civil War did the same thing. At the very end of Civil War. Yeah. And it's I think just Captain America, what's his face? McSilver Arm and Tony Stark. <laughs> and they're literally just in this room beating the crap out of each other. Yeah. And I think that's just how the superhero movies have evolved over time. Like in some ways they've gotten better, but in other ways, even great movies like Black Panther, they devolve into a weird punching match. It's it's something that they yeah, they really struggle with in some of these superhero movies. With this being the first real MCU movie that we're talking about here, they had a chance to start creatively because they haven't had to crunch one out every couple of years. They had some time to really work on it, and Favreau did an excellent job of making this a strategic fight of different steps. Um what was I I was watching a video on YouTube where it's like a great action scene is not then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. It's a series of upsets and strategy changes. This happens, mm-hmm. therefore this happens. Or because this happens, then this has to happen in response to it. Yeah, right. And I that's why I like this fight, because Tony is constantly having to adapt over the course of it. Well, in this minute, we get a, a pretty radical tonal change, too, because right after the big hug and he releases the flares, we get this this essentially a change of environment. They haven't changed their location, but with all the smoke, it becomes this haunting sort of, uh, you know, hide-and-seek moment, which totally changes their reality of their uh, kind of relationship toward the end of this minute. And I think that, that to your point, it's, it's a strategy change and, uh, and, and in an effort to turn the tide. It works really well, mm-hmm. uh, especially over the course of, of five minutes that we've had this week where they have jammed an awful lot of just straight-up chase action. This is a nice chance to, to breathe. Yeah, because Tony is a thinker. Tony is not right. a brawler. And I think going back to what Julia said about Civil War, a lot of the reason that that final act evolves into a superpower punching match is because that's who Captain America is. Mm -hmm. Captain America came about in the age of Nazis. And so when you're dealing with Nazis, you punch them until they are no longer a problem anymore. And Bucky was that same way. He was a an assassin in the Cold War area era where you're it's communists versus capitalists and you just go in guns blazing and punching and stuff like that where tony is a more modern hero where he's got to use his intellect to think his way out of issues and when you throw you know what's his face mcsilver arm the winter soldier up against (laughs) iron man and you have captain america helping him there's going to be a lot of punching involved and tony (laughs) had to struggle to keep up with them right yeah. You know, you want to talk about ghosts of his past, 
the man that his totally. father helped create and the the man who killed his father double teaming him like that but that's so far down the road it's hardly worth talking about at this point i hardly even know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> it's a great point and i think it actually speaks a lot to the fight we have between these two guys who are i mean they grew up in this world of military and weapons and the things they create on top of that tony is this genius and you're right. The way that he can think and and adapt very quickly to these situations, and he uses these flares, which it's not a weapon. It's it's a thing to kind of distract. It's a defensive tool that he uses uh, very effectively here to kind of uh, to to get away. And the way that he ignites them and creates this huge smoke cloud, it obviously is affecting Obadiah's system because as he's kind of shaking his head, we get that great shot of him inside where you can see his HUD is really having a negative reaction to this whole thing. Yeah, it's overloading his visual sensors. Exactly. And it's something that Tony is just very sharp with. And and we have, it's kind of like uh, the end of Terminator 2, where you have these two Terminators that are both getting beaten up to a point where their their technology isn't working as well as it used to. In this particular case, Tony is going to be the one who benefits. And in a system where you've got these mega suits, and Tony knows that the Ironmonger suit is stronger than his, he is kind of inadvertently, I suppose, but putting the Ironmonger suit in a place where it's not going to be about the suits, it's going to be about the smarts. And by by doing that and by disrupting his visual sensors, now he's potentially putting himself into a place where he might get the upper hand. Yeah, Tony's proving to us as a viewer why he deserves to be in the Iron Man suit. Because when he flew to wherever Istan, the Kunar province, to destroy all the weapons that had been sold to the Ten Ring terrorists, like that could have been anybody in that suit. Yeah. That was just him going in, blowing stuff up. This scene is his, I guess, audition for the role. So that at the end of this movie, he can definitively say, I am Iron Man. That's a very strong point. It's a very strong point that I like a lot. That this mm-hmm. is this is how he proves to the world, more to himself, really, that he deserves to be wearing this suit. Mm-hmm. It's not just about a fighting tool. It is about being a hero, being smart in the way that you approach these situations. I like it. And another reason why I like this movie. Well, and another reason why I'm so glad that they started with such a human character as Tony Stark. You know, what a, it, 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 even though he was kind of the also ran in the comics, uh, you know, it, it, it turns out, I think, that this just further cements how grounded the universe should be to, to start with such a, a flawed guy and make him a hero and allow and give us the opportunity to believe. Right. We've been talking about a lot of uh, the, the stuff with Iron Man, and we've certainly brought up some of the other uh, films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, today and over this past week. What would you guys say are your favorites of the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I mean, by the time this comes out, Endgame will have been released. Mm-hmm. We, we can't speak to that one, but there are... 20, uh, 22, 20, where are we at now? 21 films with Captain Marvel. My gosh. Uh, where would you guys? <laughs> yeah. 
sober. I don't like I don't like saying these numbers. It just always <laughs> makes my head spin a little bit as I think about it and what we've taken on. But what would you guys say are, are your favorites? Do you guys uh, rank them? Do you have any sense of of uh, you know which ones are really the standouts for you? Well, I don't rank them. I knew you were going to ask this question, and I've been thinking <laughs> about it. It's really hard to answer. I go between. I like origin stories. Uh, I like stories that are early on in the sequence of events. They feel more pure to me. So that would mean that Iron Man is one of my favorites. But I also think that Marvel has gotten better at making movies over the 20 years that they've been doing it. So I really, really like some of the newer ones, um, like Ragnarok. Um, Captain Marvel was amazing. I really like where they have taken their skill set of making movies. They're going in a great direction. I was definitely one of those people that when I first saw Captain America, the first Avenger and uh, Captain America, the winter soldier, like those were for the longest time, my favorite ones. And then I started getting into the guard uh, guardians of the galaxy and the more cosmic level marvel stuff like even thor like thor is out there in the cosmic realm and sure dark world has its drawbacks but i really like the character of thor and i really like the character of star lord and how that first guardians of the galaxy movie is him finding a new family and then the second one he's got all of the stuff to deal with his dad and i just love those stories and how thor starts off over here on asgard and then he just kind of creeps his way in the side door into the more cosmic elements of the universe. And so I think the first two Guardians movies, uh, Thor Ragnarok and also Captain Marvel, because they deal a lot with Kree. And then finally, um, the Avengers Infinity War movie. Those happen to be those have to be like my favorite five of the 20 some odd that have been released so far. 21 total yeah just so it's <laughs> <out of> 21 <laughs> the top quarter the top quarter percent <laughs> it's it's a, it's so interesting talking to people about this because it's it varies so much and it's it's you know i mean we haven't had anybody put like thor the dark world or the incredible hulk up on the top but it's always varied, and it's something I find really interesting. And I think it speaks well to what they're doing with this whole cinematic universe is that they're, they're, it's kind of like they're throwing stuff out there where it's like films for everyone, and mm-hmm. everyone can find something that they really connect with and identify with. I love it. Like, Thor The Dark World may not be seen as the best Thor movie, and that is valid. But one thing that Thor The Dark World had was amazing set lighting. Like when you look yeah. at how the more recent Marvel movies are lit, they're nowhere near as dynamic or as impressive as what you'll see in Thor The Dark World. Because there's oh, just the work that goes into it. I, I don't want to get into it because I'm not a lighting person, but it is something I definitely noticed. Well, that's one of the things that I think is the most fun about the entire MCU is to watch it watch it as a work in progress, right? You know, that we can we can go and watch what they learned about the the uh, um, the suits from this movie and see those direct connections to the evolution of the suit in you know Infinity War and um, to your point about lighting, I mean, I some of the lighting effects in this movie 
uh, lighting effects where you get the light sort of uh, bouncing off of of elements coming out of the chess pieces. That one of the shots we didn't talk about specifically this week, in fact, was Ironmonger when he was down on his knee before your favorite Audi and screaming family. Uh, screech into him and he looks sideways and the way his chest light is lighting up the front bumper and kind of the ground is haunting and uh, just it, it feels so real and so natural and and you know those those lessons play directly in how they use uh, isolated element lighting and, and individual character lighting throughout the rest of these movies you can just you can see it as such a family uh, of tools and techniques that they're building it's incredible expertise they're doing a lot of really nice stuff um, all through it. And, and I need to look back at Thor The Dark World now to really kind of uh, check on those visuals because I can't quite recall um, a lot of them. What, for whatever reason is stuck in my mind is just the the shoe uh, kind of falling through the endless loop right now through those little things. I don't know why that's the thing that I'm thinking about with <laughs> Thor The Dark World, but who knows? <laughs> Regardless, it's a it's a fun movie uh, still, and I think that speaks well to the MCU. Even when you're looking at some of the films that aren't quote the best of them, yeah, they're still just incredibly entertaining movies. Very fun stuff to watch. Yeah, even if you're not watching the best of what the MCU has to offer, at least you're not watching a DC Cinematic Universe film. and that was me firing the shots he says this before shazam comes out folks before shazam comes out (laughs) oh well well it's been a great week talking with you guys thanks so much for joining us this yeah thank you for having us yeah it's been a lot of fun good excuse to rewatch this movie i hadn't seen it in a while Mm -hmm. well would you guys like to remind everyone one last time where they can find you out there on the interweb certainly if you are a big fan of the creative use of flares then come on over and join us on the mad max minute where you can hear andy and pete talk about their creative use of flares when they (laughs) guest on our show the mad max minute this upcoming july this is 2019 so if you're listening to this Years from now, it's already up. Go listen to it. But if you're looking, <laughs> listening to this live, you'll have to wait a little bit. But we are on madmaxminute.com. That is our main home on the internet. As I've mentioned all this week, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. We're on Twitter and Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute. And we even have an Instagram. Every time we post a new episode, I post a lovely image of our episode banner for that minute so whatever social media you're on unless there's one that i haven't heard of yet or i'm not cool enough to be on you should be able to find us no problem whatsoever check them out everybody it is well worth it flares in the face you guys (laughs) in the face face and this is two movies with flares in the face i love it Well, everybody, that is it for today's show. And that's it for closing out the week. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true believers. 